Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you again. Uh, I titled this morning's sermon, Finding Jesus Out on a Limb. And as much time as I spend playing around with words and writing and getting sermons ready, after I sent this out, it occurred to me that the way I phrase this could give you one of two ideas. When I say finding Jesus out on a limb, you could get an idea in your mind of when you've gone out on a limb to find Jesus. Or the way I phrase it, you could be thinking about you're just going about your day and you look up and you see Jesus himself out on a limb. I did not mean to suggest that Jesus is out on a limb and we go find him. This is a, this is a sermon about finding Jesus when you've gone out on a limb. And uh, I was typing this out uh, Monday night and working on it at home while my wife was washing her face and getting ready for bed. And she said, what are you teaching on on Sunday? And I said, well, let me give you the sermon title and you tell me who you think I'm talking about. And so I said, the sermon title is Finding Jesus When You're Out on a Limb. And she immediately knew what story this was coming from. Do any of you want to guess about what story we might be going to and talk about someone who found Jesus when they were out on a limb? Zacchaeus, right? Now let's see how many of you grew up in church. Zacchaeus was in fact a wee, there we go, he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. What kind of a tree did he climb up into? Sycamore tree. Six and a half years ago I was going back through my sermon archive and I did find where I have taught on this passage previously and I felt the Holy Spirit this month drawing me back into the story as we've been talking about what it means to branch out and look at different things that the Bible teaches us about how a healthy Christian life is like a tree. We've been using it to look at our lives personally, and I've talked a little bit about next week in more detail about what this will look like for us together, how some of this, what some of the specific things we will be doing as a church to branch out, to reach out from our place of health in Christ, to branch out into the lives of this community, to different groups of people, inviting them to see the fruit of what Christ has done in our life and come into this kingdom where they can find safety and protection and community. But today, we're going to look at a story about a guy who climbed a sycamore tree and ended up wiggling out on a branch and where that branch intersected the path of Jesus. It takes place, this is important, about a week and a half, maybe nine or ten days before Jesus would die on the cross. So this is in the very last few days of Jesus' life. And I want you to know, Jesus was very aware of what time it was. He was very aware of his calendar. He was very aware of the specific day that he needed to die. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll see how aware Jesus was. In fact, it's probably, not probably, it was absolutely the most important meeting that any human has ever had to keep. That it was his appointment on Good Friday to die on the cross. Why? Because in order for him to really fulfill what he needed to be and who he needed to be as the sacrifice, the perfect lamb that took away the sins of the world, he had to show up at the right place at the right time. Not a day early, not a day late. If ever there was a person on their morning commute who was busy and focused, it's Jesus in this story. So he's passing through the city of Jericho. Now Jericho is probably most famous for being destroyed. But it shows up again here in this story. And, and between the time when it was destroyed and when Jesus gets there, it had become a very wealthy province in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was the wealthiest province in Palestine at that point. It was a city that Josephus described as a very fat city in terms of there was a bustling economy, a lot of tourism, um, whereas nearby there was a lot of desert. It was lush and had, was really known for its trees. 
and its, its residents had a, a pretty high level of earning. And this time every year, this week before Passover, their city would be very busy with foot traffic because all of the Jews who were traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, who were making that pilgrimage, all the Jews who were traveling from that part of the country would pass through Jericho because it was like the last rest stop before Jerusalem. Now, from Jericho to Jerusalem was only about 18 miles, maybe 13 if you took a different route, but 18 miles. However, Jericho, in terms of altitude, is 900 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,200 feet above sea level. So it might be a short distance, but it's a hike, and it's pretty far up. You're going to go up, up a half mile over that span of time. So Jericho became kind of the last stop, the last city where you could fuel up, check up on your supplies. And this time of the year, people who were in Jericho would line the streets and kind of cheer on and welcome the pilgrims who were passing through on their way to Jerusalem. And what's interesting is that in this story, the location and the coordinates are specific because this is exactly the pathway that Jesus would take on his way to Calvary. And yet... Years before this story took place, a little seed of a sycamore fig tree hit the ground. And it got covered in dirt. And it was watered and sun fell on it. And that seed sprouted. A little part of the seed in the form of a leaf poked up through the soil. And over time, it grew into a trunk. And that trunk grew tall. And that trunk grew wide. And that trunk grew branches strong enough to hold a wee little man, a wee little white-collar crook by the name of Zacchaeus. And years before Jesus would take that commute, a seed was planted of the intersection of the chief of sinners and the chief of love. Let's see what happened. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road because Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, and here's the whole hinge to the story, when Jesus came by, he looked up. He looked up. He looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And now a very famous phrase that many of you would be able to finish, for the son of man, here's like Jesus' life mission, for the son of man came to do two things. He came to seek and save those who are lost. There are different ways you can read the New Testament, and one of the ways that is beneficial to include as you study the New Testament is when their stories, look at the characters of the stories and see in what way you personally identify with that person or that group. And in this story, there's three characters or th- and well, two characters in a group. There's the crowd, there's Zacchaeus, and there's Jesus. And a really enriching way to look at this would be able to say, how can I identify with the crowd? How can I personally identify with Zacchaeus? And how can I personally identify with Christ? Within the constraints of our time today, I can't unpack it that way, but I will tell you that there is value in learning. How do I identify with the crowd? And the the way that you can identify with the crowd is by recognizing that you and I will constantly wrestle with our own self-righteousness and it will become a barrier to us seeing real people behind personalities that we can't stand. This crowd hated Zacchaeus. And as a result of that, they cast him off as unclean and a sinner, cut him out of all their social circles, cut him out of their synagogues. 
And they ostracized him because they could not see the person behind his corrupt personality. At other times, we'll see ourselves as Zacchaeus because much like Zacchaeus, I too, my story is I am lost or I was lost, I was broken. I didn't know how lost I was or how broken I really was. I've done things in my life that I thought were right until later I learned that they were wrong. I have gone to extreme lengths at times not even caring what people thought to get a first-hand glimpse of Jesus. And like Zacchaeus, I have met Jesus for myself. Yes, other people have told me about Jesus, but I've met him personally. Have you met Jesus personally? So many of you have. You know what that's like, that experience of meeting him for yourself. But the way I want us to look at the story in the few moments that we have today is I want us to see Jesus as an example. Because in this story, we see Jesus branching out. A branch was stretched towards Jesus, and Jesus stretched himself. And if we can see seeking the lost, if we can see it as an activity that looks like a branch from a tree reaching out from its place of health, showing its, showing its fruitfulness and its beauty as an invitation to outsiders to come in and find home in our kingdom. If we can understand what it means to seek the lost, like we can understand a branch from a tree extending, we can see Jesus' life as an example. If you're a disciple of Jesus, and that's what we're about here, our mission statement as a church is we are, all, we are passionately and unapologetically committed to being and making disciples of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is on a journey of Christ-likeness. That means I want to be like him. I don't want to just be the best version of me. I want to be an image of Christ. And so that means if Jesus did it, then it can be an example for us of how we ought to live and how we ought to respond. So the question is, how did Jesus seek? Well, that's a big answer. Let's limit it. How did Jesus seek Zacchaeus? And is there anything about the way he branched out to Zacchaeus That could help me understand how to branch out that way. Because here's an assumption that I want to make. I want to make an assumption that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room, or that's listening online, every one of you that has a saving relationship with Jesus, here's what I think is true about you. I think it's true that in your heart, you want to reach out to others. Is that true? Six of you, it's true. The rest of you aren't sure. (laughs) I didn't ask you if you are or if you're doing it to your satisfaction. If Jesus is in you through the Holy Spirit and he brought his personality and his character with him, he seeks and saves the lost. Isn't that what he's all about? So that means that when you get saved, a new desire comes inside of you that says, I want to reach out to other people with the truth of the gospel. We want to do that. We desire to do that. We wish we did it more effectively. We wish we did it more regularly. We wish we could do it with more confidence. We wish we could do it as well as some other people that we see. But inside of you, I believe inside every one of you, there is a desire to seek the lost, to reach out, to branch out to people outside of the kingdom and bring them into the kingdom. But there's also other desires inside of us at the same time, desires of fear or feelings of fear, insecurity, being being unqualified, being busy, being intimidated, being rejected. All those things are in there, but I want to water the seed that's in you that says, I want to do this. The point of today's message is not say, here's the standard of Jesus, and here's how we don't measure up. Now go home and feel bad about that. I want you to be met right where you are today and see how Jesus branched out to one man named Zacchaeus. And I want to make it doable for you through Christ. So let's look at this. Here's the big idea. My question was, how did Jesus branch out? And here's my big idea. Jesus branched out to seek the lost, and so should we. Jesus branched out to seek the lost. In other words, this is not an option. It's not just something we should do. It's something we must do if we're his disciples. We must branch out to reach the lost. I don't think anybody in here would disagree. That's pretty evident from the scripture. But it brings a question. How did Jesus do that? And is there anything about the way that Jesus branched out to lost people that can inspire and equip and inform and shape and mold me that I can echo that in my own life? And the answer is yes. How can we seek like Jesus? I came up with three statements. I'll give them all to you at once, and then I'll briefly unpack. Three statements I see in this story. This is how Jesus branched out. meant three things. First, 
It meant taking the initiative. He didn't wait for someone to come find him. He took the initiative. Now, I don't know about your experience, but there have been times in my life where I was, God made it very easy for me. He just brought something right in front of me, and I didn't have to do anything. I was just like, okay, it's right here. But that's not usually the case. Usually when it comes to branching out, it involves me taking some kind of an initiative. Second thing Jesus did, and we need to do is, it means being personal. What do I mean by that? I mean, we have to be able to notice the person behind the personality, especially when the personality is off-putting to you. I would like to prepare you that everybody that God intends for you to branch out towards, towards you will like you, love you, be cuddly and warm and thankful. That's not always who you're going to run into. And in fact, a lot of times the personality of the person along your commute will be one that disgusts you and angers you. But Jesus was able to notice the person behind the personality that allowed him to be personal. The third thing, branching out like Jesus means inviting a response. Sometimes it means inviting a person to say yes or no to Jesus. Sometimes it means inviting them to, to a, a program or a Bible study or church. But I'm going to share with you some more basic invitations. All of these things we see represented in the story, these are all doable. These are all part of what it means to branch out. So let's look at them briefly. You do need to know a few things about Zacchaeus if you haven't figured it out between this passage and those awesome songs we sang in kids' church growing up about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, and a wee little man was he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. We get the whole story there. But here's what Luke supplies for us. Jesus Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and he had become very rich here's what you need to know the roman for the roman empire taxes were big business big empire lots of taxes and i know most of us are thrilled we wish we wish we could pay more taxes than we do we love paying taxes but the roman empire was they loved taxes they needed a lot of taxes They went about collecting taxes in a way that's a little bit different than the way that we collect taxes here in our country today. Now, you need to know that God is not anti-tax. In fact, taxes were instituted by God in the Old Testament and built into the Jewish economy. What God does oppose and what the law of God does oppose is egregious, unnecessary, extortive, vindictive, unfair, unreasonable taxes. And that's what we have in this empire, because here's the way the Roman Empire went about collecting taxes. They divided their entire empire up into provinces and tax districts. And they would allow wealthy individuals or people in the country that wanted to be wealthy to purchase from the Roman government the franchise rights to collect taxes and that territory. And here was the agreement. The franchisee would be tasked by the government to collect a certain fixed amount of tax that the government felt like that territory owed, owed the government. But they would be allowed to inflate the bill and anything above and beyond, after they had satisfied their payment to Rome, anything above and beyond that could be kept by the tax collector for profit. What the government did to help out was they militarized and deputized the tax collectors to do this. So the tax collector could essentially figure out any bill for you that they wanted to, and you can dig deep into this and see all the things that they taxed. We don't have time for it this morning, but it was exorbitant. And they had all the backing of the law enforcement and the government to make you pay those taxes. So if you owed the government, you know, if the government needed $1,000 from your household, that tax collector could give you a bill for $1,800 and you had to pay it, and the tax collector could keep that $800. So you have the Romans collecting taxes from the Jews. Well, now, how did the Jews feel about the Romans to begin with? Did they like the fact that they conquered their territory? No. No. In fact, a lot of the drama in the New Testament is the tension between the Jews and the Romans and then the tension within the Jews. Jews hated the Romans, but there's a class of their own countrymen they hated even worse. It was unusual, but it happened that a Jew would decide they would like to purchase a tax franchise and get rich. There's only one reason why. It was because of greed. And they had a quick path to wealth. And the way they would get it is by betraying their own countrymen 
and collecting from their own flesh and blood exorbitant extortive taxes and shaking them down in order to get rich under the Roman permission. So the Roman law said this was okay, but God's law said it wasn't okay. And so who we have here is not just a tax collector in Zacchaeus, we have the chief tax collector, which meant he was the franchisee, he was so well off, he employed other tax collectors, and he got a cut of their cut. He was wealthy, he was greedy, he was successful, he was hated, and he was lonely. How do you know he was lonely? Jewish law prohibited tax collectors from worshiping in the synagogue. They were considered unclean. So they were excluded from religious services. And as unclean, they were also excluded from Jewish social circles because they were dirty. The only people tax collectors could hang out with were other tax collectors and sinners. So here's a guy who's already short. That's another thing. He's short. He's little. Let me help frame that in. We know from archaeological digs that have happened over the last century The average height of a Jewish man who lived in that area and that place was between 5 feet 1 and 5 feet 5 inches tall. That's not very tall. He was considered short by those standards. Uh, This might ruin the story for you, but if you think of the actor Danny DeVito, he's 4 foot 10. So now I realize every time you see Zacchaeus in the tree, you're going to see Danny DeVito up in that tree, hanging out. He was short, but here is a way for him to become large in life. And so for greed, thinking it's going to make him into something, he buys this franchise, becomes incredibly wealthy, and also a notorious sinner. He is hated, he is known, everybody knows who he is, and the community itself denies him just basic decency. In our day and age, if a child or someone who's vertically disadvantaged needs to see a parade, most of us are going to let that person come and stand in front of us. It's not going to get in our way, it's just the decent thing to do. We're going to let them merge into traffic and get in front of us. But this whole community banded together, and when the crowds were passing through Jericho, that was no unusual thing, but word began to trickle out that this man from Galilee was passing through that they had heard so much about. And now the crowds swell, and there's not enough curbside. Uh, You went to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and told me some of these stories about trying to find a spot to see. No one moves aside for Zacchaeus to see that's how much he's hated. They don't even give him that decency. And so he runs a little bit up ahead and he climbs a tree. You need to just know that it was an absolute disgrace for an adult male to climb a tree. Men did not do that. It was considered a disgrace. I know there's young people in here and I'll just say this delicately and move on. Well, why was it a disgrace? Well, think about what they wore. Climbing a tree. I'll leave that there and move on. We got Danny DeVito in that image today, but that's it was a disgrace. But he was so curious to get above the crowd and see Jesus for himself that he didn't care how disgraceful it made him look. And here comes Jesus on his commute to the most important work any human being has ever done. He was busy. He was focused. He had an appointment to keep. He was doing his father's work. And yet, along the way, God in his foreknowledge plants a tree, knowing that years and years and years later, one of his servants will pass by that tree on his way to work. And in that tree would be a lost, curious man that was more or less unreachable unless someone could see past his crooked ways and see the person behind it. So what does Jesus do? And how can we seek like Jesus? First, Jesus took the initiative. He took the initiative. You need to see, if I haven't drawn it out, this entire story is an interruption to Jesus' itinerary. Jesus... The Bible tells us, Luke tells us, Jesus didn't go to Jericho for a healing crusade. He didn't go to Jericho to to have a preaching 
crusade. He didn't go to Jericho to visit their synagogue. He didn't go to Jericho to teach somebody something. It says, Luke says, he entered Jericho and made his way through the town. It was not his point A. It was not his point B. He was just passing through on his way to work. He was passing through it. And yet, along his ordinary route to work, there was an opportunity. And Jesus, it says, the most important thing it is, he looked up. If he wouldn't have even looked up, wouldn't have seen Zacchaeus. But he looks up. I need to be, get right to the point today. Listen, some of the most amazing and probably the most normal opportunities you're going to have to branch out, they will not come at a formal church outreach event. How many of those do you participate in your lifetime? A couple, maybe. They might not happen on a morning where you're feeling evangelistic when you wake up. You had three cups of coffee. You feel good, and you say, Lord, put someone in my path today. Now, that happens. There will be days where you won't pray that. There will be days where you've got your God focals on. Probably on a day when you're not busy. Probably on a day when you're feeling good. Probably on a day where you have extra time. Probably on a day where you were listening to a good podcast. You had your Bible time that morning, you prayed. And I'm not saying that you won't have opportunities, you will. But you know what I love about this story? It happens in the middle of somebody's busy day. I've taught sermons, and you've heard messages about how tragically busy we Americans are. I've taught them, and we do need to talk about busyness. Jesus addresses busyness. We're not addressing that today. But usually the way those sermons go is we get to the point where we're saying, yes, I'm too busy, and only because I'm busy, my busyness is the one barrier to me branching out more. And if I could just become less busy, I'll cut out, I'll work less hours, I'll cut out hobbies, I'll rearrange my time, I will shave my time even thinner than it is, and then I'll have all this extra time to branch out. And you find that that never works. You just go home And you say, well, I can't work less hours and keep my job. I have 14 children here at home, so I don't know when there's going to be any extra free time. You know, we still got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to take care of our house. Now, there is times where we're just wasting time. We need to repurpose it. But what I love about this story is God also says, look, it's one thing to simplify your schedule, but let me tell you how I operate. I have planted seeds on your commute years before you knew you'd even take that road. Maybe it doesn't mean you have to be less busy. You just need to look up while you're about your busy day. He put people, opportunities, all along your route, years ago. Knowing that when you stop and you go in to pay for your gas, or you probably pay at the pump unless you pay cash, so I don't know what side of Dave Ramsey you are with that. We're going to leave it alone. You go in to get your coffee. You're going through the window to get your your lunch or your dinner. You're walking to the cubicle. We know you don't have time. We know. He didn't either. And I would suggest his meeting, probably a little bit more important than what you and I are going to do the rest of the day. And yet he took the initiative. Now, sometimes you don't have to take a whole lot of initiative. It hasn't happened to me often. I remember one Sunday after I got done preaching at Perry Hall High School, I had gotten down off the platform and I walked up an aisle and there was a young man waiting for me right there. I didn't know him real well. I had seen him come into the high school for some services, but most of the weeks I only saw the top of his head because he'd put it down on the seat in front of him. Never had a conversation with him. I'm on my way to go out into the lobby to degreet. That's a word we use here. We unwelcome you on the way out. We welcome you on the way in, right? <laughs> Thanks for being here. Now get it. No, we don't do that. <laughs> But I'm on the way out to just, you know, de-greet people on the way out, I guess, greet them a second time. And he says, Phil, you have to pray for me right now. I am so lost, and I need you to pray for me right now. In 25 years of ministry, that's happened to me once. Here's a person who says, I I know I'm lost. I need to be saved. You need to pray for me right now. Now, there was some initiative I needed to take at that moment, but there was a lot done. Now, I, I said that in the first service, and then I found out a testimony in between services. And it's now happened twice. We concluded in prayer, just like we're going to do this morning in this service. And I'm over here praying. I found out after service, there was one of our, our ladies who was leading in prayer over here. And she said, I have to tell you what happened during prayer this morning. There was a husband and wife that came forward. Many of us would know them. And the wife came forward with her husband. And we were, you know, she asked, what can I pray with you and your family about? The wife started sharing. The wife's a believer. The husband is not. The wife started sharing. And she said, and my husband said that today he wants to have in his heart what I have in mine. 
She'd prayed for him for 18 years. I've only prayed for him for three years. She prayed for him for 18 years, and today he experienced salvation through Jesus right over there. Now, our prayer worker didn't have to do a whole lot of initiative. Let me tell you, the wife has done a lot of initiative here. 18 years and did not give up. 18 years. 18 years. First thing Jesus does is he takes the initiative. There's no indication that Zac... We have no indication that Zacchaeus ever met him before. And yet Jesus, though he had never met him, knew him. (laughs) Though he had never met him as a man, he knew him as the Son of God. And he took the initiative. The difference in you seeing more opportunities to branch out isn't necessarily in you becoming less busy. It's about keeping your eyes open as you go along the business of your day, believing that God has planted sycamore seeds along your route. Amen? Have you ever had that experience? You weren't looking for ministry, and ministry came to you. Second thing Jesus does was he was personal. How does he address Zacchaeus? He calls him by name. Might not be startling to us. It was startling to him because Zacchaeus had never met Jesus. And here's this dude he never met who calls him by name, and it rocked his world. Back in that day, if you met someone, you ran into someone you'd never met before, they call you by your name. That was a surefire sign they were a prophet from God. So immediately Zacchaeus is thinking, I got up here to see him. Now he has seen me. And when he sees me, he doesn't start dressing me down because of all my sin. He doesn't condemn me. He looks in my beady little eyes. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. He was personal. And this is not a message about you need to learn everybody's names. That's a good thing to do. But here's what he did. Jesus could have just stopped looking at the personality and said, this is a character I don't want anything to do with because everything he's doing is totally counter to what I represent. He saw past the personality to the person. And I will tell you, yes, you can stop and look. And a lot of times what you will see and what you will encounter will be a personality, a character, a presence that turns you off and it puts you off. But seeking like Jesus means we are willing to look past just the personality and see the person. See the person. I've told this story before, not recently. But last summer, I went to an auction in Pennsylvania on a Friday. It was a very full day at the auction. There was about 200 seats in the room, and all of them were filled. I had to get there early to get a seat. And all that I brought with me was myself and my little cardboard box that if I want anything at the auction, I could put it in the box. So I'm sitting in the last row, and the seat on the end of the aisle is a good seat because I could see everything without them seeing me. It was great. I loved it. I can get a lay of the land and know who's bidding on what, work it to my advantage. Well, about... An hour into the auction, my legs started just to cramp up a little bit. So I stood up, I put my box on my seat, and I stood behind my seat so I could stretch out my legs. Well, a few minutes later, some grumpy, angry-looking dude comes. Why grumpy, angry guys always walk like this? You're walking like this. He bumps into me. He takes my box, tosses it on the floor, and he sits down in my seat, and he folds his arms. That's a violation of every social dignity that there is. And I'm immediately put off by this, and I'm upset. And so in my passive-aggressive, sarcastic, unredeemed part of me that needs to be redeemed, I lean over and I said, sir, that was my box. And I can't quote exactly what he said to you in this environment, or probably in any other, but he said, he just looks at me and he says, rear ends, he says these seats are for rear ends, not for boxes. Use some other language. Now, he was kind of right, but it still ticked me off. Because I'm like, how, what kind of a person, what kind of a person who's obviously not as dignified as me would have the gall without even asking to take, and I just, I, I'm, I'm steamed now. And I just said, well, sir, I got here early to have that seat. He said, would you like to go up to the, would you like me to take you right now over to the auctioneer and we'll let him sell this? Is this going to be a problem? And I'm thinking to myself, it probably not. I, I stood back up and now I'm really irritated and I'm, I'm kind of going through what my next move is going to be. And then a different voice from a different part of me just said, dude, would you just, this is a chair. What are you doing? And I was like, yeah, this is, that's kind of silly. And so I just leaned over. I said, sir, you know what? I'm sorry. It's no issue. Just, I'm just going to move my box back here. And the guy looks at me and he says, no, I'm sorry. 
He said, uh, I'm mad, but I'm not really mad at you. He's like, my wife and I used to come to this auction every single week. It was what we did together on Fridays. I was off work. She was off work. A little over a year ago, she had a car accident, and now she's in a wheelchair. And so it makes it coming to the auction more difficult. And so we tried the first couple weeks. She was in a wheelchair, but I need a seat on the end. And every time I would wheel her in here, everybody would put, they would see us coming. They put their boxes on the end seat so we couldn't sit there. And he says, I guess I've just penned up all this frustration. He said, I'm sorry. And I felt about that big. Despite my best efforts, God let me see the person behind the personality. Being personal means taking that extra moment to look someone in the eyes, to look someone at someone's heart, and ask God to help you see the person behind their personality because there's a soul there behind every angry, grumpy. And in Zacchaeus's case, this is not a story about the down and outer. This is literally the up and outer. He's wealthy. He's successful. He is rich. He is powerful. And he's out on a limb embarrassing himself because he's so lonely he can't stand it. His conscience is probably eating him alive. This is not what he thought his life would lead to. And here he is. And everybody else in the room says, "Uh uh-uh, he's not even worth my dignity because I'm so much holier than he is. And as they're thinking they're so much holier than he is, they're proving they're just as unholy as he is. Until... One man happens to cross his path on his commute in the middle of the most important assignment anybody's ever had. He looks up and he takes a personal moment. And what does he say? He invites a response. He says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. Well, it's easier, quicker to get down the tree than up the tree, I would imagine. Come down the tree. I'm going to your house today. I must, he says, I must come to your house today. So how does Zacchaeus respond? He quickly came down with excitement and joy and gladly received him. Wow. Jesus says, I need to come and stay with you today. Here's what he didn't say. Zacchaeus, you're dirty. You get cleaned up so I can come stay with you. No, he says, first I'll come stay with you. And then after we're together for a while, you can decide if I get to clean you up too. He didn't make his cleaning up a requirement for him to come over. Listen, this is not the way we do things in the Western culture. We do not go up to people and say, listen, um, here's what I'm doing for lunch today. I'm coming to your house. We don't do that. Some of you have tried to do that to us. Please don't. We're not ready. Especially, I mean, like if it was God, I'd be like, I am not ready to have God in my house. Cleaners haven't been here yet. It is, we haven't shoved everything in the closet. We haven't, you know, we haven't turned on all the Christian music and hung up the Bible verses. We're not ready. We're not ready. But in their culture, that was just normal. It's just normal. I'm coming. But he says today. I'm not coming back in two weeks. I'm not coming. Your window of opportunity is right now. I must come to your house today. Probably the first time anybody has extended that invitation to Zacchaeus. He has this big house and no friends. Jesus says, I'm going to come over today. How does, G- how does he respond? He responds quickly. He gets down right away. He responds with excitement and joy. Don't you remember the excitement and joy you felt when Jesus came into the house of your heart? I pray that God restores and renews the joy of your salvation today. Not grumpy Christians walking around talking about how bad we have it. The king of kings has made his home in our hearts. He wants to commune with us and eat with us and share life with us. He responds quickly. He responds obediently. He said, get down, I'm coming to your house. He said, okay, let's go. I'll get down, I'll get down quickly. Listen, you want to have a relationship with Jesus, it requires obedience. We don't negotiate with the king. We don't negotiate with him. He's the Lord. Responds to him immediately, obediently, with joy and excitement. But he responds with repentance. Here's what he says in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half 
my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people in their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today. So Jesus is having this conversation after they got home because when Zacchaeus makes his confession, it wasn't in the tree. It was when they were in his home. I don't know what they talked about. I don't know what Jesus described him. All I know is that that simple invitation, him being around the grace of Jesus was like a lightning bolt that transformed Zacchaeus' heart. How do we know there's evidence that he has completely changed his thinking about his life? Here's what he says in my own paraphrase. I've sinned. And I have a changed opinion regarding my former behavior. I will now do the opposite. I've cheated. I've extorted. I've stolen. Now I will give to the poor and I will repay those I've cheated. That's what repentance sounds like. Repentance says, I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the wrong I've done. But now I feel differently about what I've done and there will be change in my life. A lot of times we get as far as, man, I'm really sorry, God, that I did this and that and the other. Please forgive me. And it never goes any further. It's just like, well, this will hold me over until I inevitably have to come to you again for the same thing. That's sorrow, but not repentance. This is sorrow that led to repentance. And let me show you how repentant he really was. Jewish customs said that a fifth, 20% of every citizen's uh, income should be given to the poor. How much does he give? Half, 50%. He did above and beyond what the law required because he wasn't seeking a legal fulfillment. He wanted to have peace with God and peace with others. And so he said, my heart has changed. Well, how could he do that? He could do it because he was wealthy. Listen, tithing a tenth for someone in a lower class or a middle class life, that's a sacrifice. But for people making tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, 10% doesn't really upset their quality of living. And here's a man who said, I want to cut in to my, because here I used to look at people as an avenue to get wealthy. My heart has changed and now I look at people as an avenue for my wealth to give. But he goes further. He says, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back 400%. Jewish law said if you defrauded someone, you need to pay them back what they owed you plus 20% interest. That's 120%. He said, I'm going to pay them back 400%. This is a man whose heart had changed completely. He went from living off of greed to living a life of sacrificial generosity, just like the man who stopped his trip to look into his eyes and take the initiative to become personal and to invite a response. So what was it specifically, this is my concluding thought, what specifically transformed Zacchaeus? It was a stranger who looked up during his daily routine to recognize a sinner being drawn by God's grace to repentance. All it took was a man or a woman who was not in too much of a hurry to take some initiative, to be personal, and to lead a lost soul in a spiritual response to the moment. Now listen, there will be times when God will prompt you to give someone an invitation to say yes or no to Jesus. There will be times where God will put it in your heart to invite somebody to come to church with you. Can I give you a couple simple invitations you can put in your pocket and use? Here's a simple invitation you can give. Tell me more about that. Say more about that. My wife taught this to me in working with our boys when they're saying about something they're afraid of. Rather than just launching into a lesson, invite them to tell you more about it. I go to the same 7-Eleven that's right on my road, and it's the same workers that have been there since I moved there over a decade ago. I've gotten to know them rather well. A rough crew, but a fun crew. It's taken me 10 years to get to a conversation. I had a short conversation over paying for a cup of coffee. Uh, They don't have great coffee, but it is what it is. It's cheap, so sometimes I had a cup of coffee. I was paying, and the lady says, you know, Pastor Phil, you better say a prayer for me. I said, why is that? She said, I decided this is the year I'm going to quit smoking. I said, tell me more about that. I just gave an invitation, and she told me more about what that meant. It allowed me in that moment to to affirm that, man, that's a huge choice that you want to do. Of course, how can I support you in this? I was able to talk to her about normalize it. Listen, in, in the church where I lead, I run into a lot of people that are trying to make decisions about that. I run a lot of them through Celebrate Recovery, talked about our 12-step program. Wasn't able, you know, I haven't seen her show up yet. She works all the time there. Simply saying, tell me more about that is a great invitation to someone to share more of themselves with you 
and then see where the conversation goes. Say more to me about that. You can ask them, how can I pray for you about that? Do I have to pray for them right then and there? Well, if they want you to, but otherwise you just look them in the eye and say, can I pray for you about that as I go about my week? It's different invitations that you can give that encourage people to see that you value them as a person and trust the Holy Spirit where those conversations go. Here's how we're going to uh, end our time today. We're going to hear a testimony, and then we're going to pray for you. Um, I, a few weeks ago when I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I had a chance to talk with uh, Rajiv and Suba a little bit about a desire, a dream that God put in their heart to branch out and what that would look like for them. And at the time that God put it in their heart, they didn't even have the resources. You know, they wanted to just gather people who felt alone and lonely into their home. And at the time, they were just in a tiny little apartment believing God for the right paperwork to come together so that Rajiv can find employment eventually. And over the holiday, they shared with me a photo of how God has brought this desire to branch out to pass. And was so encouraging. So just looking here. I'm looking for Super. You're going to come again. Super's going to come and grab the microphone and share this testimony about what branching out looked like for her and her family. And then we're going to pray over you. Um, our favorite holiday movie is The Grinch. Um, and we were just watching it together with our kids. And uh, Rajiv blurted out and said, I want to be like Cindy Lou Who. And we all just roared laughing. We were like, oh my goodness, you know, like, what are you saying? Um, and I was like, what, do you want to invite the Grinch over? And he said, no, I want um, our family and our house to be the kind of uh, house and the kind of place that we can invite the lonely um, and people who don't have a family to go to during the holidays and, and just, um, you know, around the year. And so um, we were laughing so hard, but then there was so much truth in what he was saying at the same time. Um, and we were like, okay, God, we want to grab a hold of this um, and show us what to do. Um, and at that time, we had no idea. But in the waiting, we prepared. One of the things that we did um, is just ask mom and dad, like, how do you host? We have no idea how to host. Um, and they taught us a lot. And I reached out to Pastor Phil and I said, will you teach me how to lead a Bible study? I know how to read the Bible for myself, but I don't know how to read the Bible to teach others. Like, what does that look like? And, and he's mentored me um, and still is mentoring me so much. Um, and so last year, um, the Lord connected us with a group of uh, college students. This is so cool because I came to the U.S. So did Rajiv. We both came here um, as international students and we, I was saved um, through uh, campus ministry at Penn State. Um, and so then to have this opportunity to um, be connected and minister to kids is so awesome. I think um, as a Christian, I've beat myself up so much um, that I don't lead enough people to Christ. But what I have learned is that that is probably not the first conversation. We first have to be in people's lives and, and build relationships and be a friend and sometimes just meet practical needs. And the Lord will show us how to build up to the point where we have the privilege of uh, talking about God and talking about the gospel. And um, and you know, and it's just so uh, so awesome. Um, there's a picture um, here. Um, so these were the 30 kids that we hosted at our home for New Year's Eve. Um, all the Grinches. Uh, <laughs> so um, it was so cool to have that privilege. I'm so convinced that the Lord loves each and every single one, and he doesn't need our help to do anything. But it's so awesome to hear God's heart for these kids um, and to have a small uh, role in, in leading them um, however God wants to. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for letting me share. Leave that picture up just for a moment. I think, Suba, you shared what only one, to your knowledge, of those as a believer uh, at this point, yes. at this point. Um, but they had, just like you, they sat here and said, Lord, I, you know our hearts and we want to branch out more. And he put an idea in their heart. And that might not be your idea. I'm not saying that that is an entry level, that you all have to have a living room big enough for 30 people. But I also want you to know they had a desire in our heart when they were living in a little one-bedroom apartment, waiting on papers for Rajiv to be able to find employment here. And God put that dream there, and they didn't question God. They just said, that's our dream for how we want to branch out. And look at what God has done in their lives. And it just began with their heart saying, I want to branch out. And I think that's in your heart too. So they just surrendered that to the Lord, and he put ideas in there that he watered and he grew. And, and look at the sheep that he's entrusting to Rajiv and Suba and their family. That's what it looks like for all of them. It may not look like that photo Today we're beginning a 21 days of prayer and fasting. We are setting aside things from our diet. For me, I tried to pick things that rhymed that were a challenge so that I could easily remember. I'm setting aside meats, 
sweets, and treats. And then I had to add bread. It doesn't rhyme, but I had to add that on there too. So it's definitely a challenge for me, but it's not like some conquest. I only make it public because I want you to know I'm in this with you. And I'm setting aside those foods for the next 21 days just as a way to learn new levels of dependence upon the Lord, to put my own cravings in their right place, and to have my ears and heart more open to the Lord in my life, my family's life, and our church's life. I'm going to ask our pastors who are here and our, any of our board members, elders, and prayer team members who have been willing to serve with me this morning to come. Uh, one of our traditions here at Echo has been um, to end each year with prayer over families and individuals. Uh, today, uh, this year, I decided it would be, I would like to start our 21 days of prayer and fasting with this. So here's all we're going to do in this moment. Totally voluntary. Don't be nervous at all. In just a moment, our welcome team is going to come. Our worship team is going to play just a playlist of some worship songs. And our welcome team will just come to your aisle at the appropriate time. There's helping manage people flow and just release anybody that's sitting in your aisle who'd like to, to come forward and just find any one of us to pray with you. And we're going to keep our prayers brief about, you know, no more than a minute. But what we want to hear from you is what can we agree with you in prayer about for the next 21 days of your life? Is there something uh, that you're laying before the Lord, something that you need from him, you're asking for him for yourself, your family, your world, whatever that looks like. We want to make that personal. We want to be personal with you today. We want to see something we can stand with you about. And so again, we would love that opportunity. You are not required if this is something that's uncomfortable for you or not forcing you into it. We'll be able to serve this entire room in just a few minutes, but uh, it's something that we'd like to do. I'm going to put a mask on. I am cl- I'm COVID clear now, but unfortunately after I was the last one in my family that hadn't gotten it and that stubborn thing got me this week for a couple of days, but I am I'm clear. So when you see me wearing this, it's not because I'm afraid of you. I'm trying to protect you from any lingering anything that I might have, but uh, I am clear. I'm I'm no longer uh, COVID positive. I'm feeling much better. But so if you see me wearing that, don't um, don't don't take offense to that. And if you're uncomfortable coming to me for that reason, it won't bother me either. You can find someone else here to pray with. We're going to minister to you, and then we'll close with a worship song and a time of giving together. So team, could you play that for us? And welcome team, could you come and serve? We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.